moving into the conclusion of 2 Corinthians, I was really convinced that the Lord would return before I get done. So these could be the longest three verses you've ever studied. (laughs) I shall keep going here until he shows up. All right, if you would, please follow with me in the reading of 2 Corinthians 13, verses 11 through 14. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul who went before us in a time and an age of hatred. And yet, Father, that same hatred is here today. We just seem to be a little more tolerant or something. I don't know. Or perhaps... We don't speak up. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your precious bride, your church. And Father, I beg you that you will teach these precious souls today. They may understand the urgency of our day. Father, they may understand that the society they exist in is equal to the evil of Corinth. Help us, Lord. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to be overwhelmed by your presence. But help us, as he says, rejoice. May we be complete. In Christ's name. Amen. Here we go. Almost done. As always, whenever I move into a new section, a new part of this, I begin with an overview. And I'm looking at the picture of sanctification. And that's what I will deal with today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Young Timothy was struggling and Paul was trying to encourage him. He was in Ephesus at the time, Timothy was. Paul was trying to encourage, understanding that he was nearing the completion of his race. Okay? Let me share something that so many don't understand today. I would say 11 out of 10 Christians don't understand it. Do you realize you're in a war? We're not in a skirmish. We're in a war. I went to see my son when he got back from Afghanistan. He had only been in the United States about two and a half weeks. And so he was back at his base, his fort, whatever they call him. In uh, Anchorage. So I, I went and picked him up. And I said, let's go eat breakfast. He said, all right. You know, it's good to see him. He looked good and all the rest of it. So you do all of that. So we sit down and we're at Village Inn. Okay. Did you know that Village Inn in Anchorage looks just like the Village Inn in Castle Rock? I mean, it's almost like they clone these things. So we sit down. And I watched his behavior. It wasn't the same. His head was on a swivel. It never stopped moving. His eyes never stopped moving. 
back and forth, to and fro, up and down. Everything that was going on, he noticed. I watched him get ready to go to the bathroom. He got up and he walked and there was a hallway that went down to the, just like the village inn. Okay, if you want to see what it's like, go to village inn. And I watched him get up to the hallway and he peered around it like this to look down the hall. And I'm like, dude, it's the bathroom at village inn. But he had 12 months of people consistently trying to kill him. You know what they call that? War. Let me ask you a question. What's your Christian traits? Do you realize you're at war? The Apostle Paul tells young Timothy in Ephesus, which was a mess, by the way, a church. Fight the good fight. Do we understand what he's talking about? Or are we just going through it? Well, they're not mad at me. You know, I got mad when they lit the White House up in rainbow colors. But, you know, I didn't send a nasty letter to the president. Really? You really think that that's it? We have a war that is going on. And we have three enemies that are unrelenting in their attack. Do you understand that? Josh talked to me, he told me one time, he says, you know, Dad, he says, Afghanistan was like the world's greatest redneck camping trip. He said, about once a month you change clothes. It was really cool because you didn't have to wash anything, you just threw them away. And you grabbed another pair. But he says, you never left, he calls it a kit. He says, you were never without your kit. And I said, well, what's your kit? Body armor. Body armor and plates. Front and back. Hang down between your legs. You always have knee pads on. And you always got gloves that have reinforcement where the knuckles are. He says, and you never, ever are without that. Because your enemy doesn't say, hey, tomorrow at noon, what do you think? Let's get after this. That ain't the way it works. He said, when winter came, it did slow down. But he said, uh, you still had incoming rockets. You still had outgoing mortars. And you still had patrols. That's war, people. Why would the Apostle Paul call what we do war? I don't know. Why would he tell you to put on the full armor of Christ? Put on the full kit of Christ. Why do we let up? Why do we let up? It can come from within our homes. It can come within, in some cases of you, your spouses, your children. It can be co-workers. But it ain't going to stop. You have three enemies. The world. The flesh. And the one we like to blame for everything else. The devil. Okay. Let me go through these. The world. The world. Look around you. The world. Well, they're not picking fights with me. Really? 
You know, you have an industry in this country right now that is one of the largest industries in the world generating billions and billions of dollars that is absolutely at war with every one of us. Every moment of every day, I don't care if you're on the internet, I don't care if you're on your texting, I don't care if you're reading the paper, if you have a magazine, or if you watch television. You know what it is? Advertising. Advertising. And it is unrelenting. And what does it do to your moral fabric? I have a guy, uh, I work on motorcycles, and I have guys every once in a while show up and want to sell me a, a socket set or something. And they always want to give me a calendar. So I always look at the calendar, and they've got scantily clad women with torque wrenches. I know for $10, that woman has no idea what a torque wrench is. Nor what it's used for. But she's in a bikini. Because that tells me she doesn't know what it is. You don't use a torque wrench with a bikini. And yet that's, here, it'll sell. Really? I've watched women be seductive with a hamburger. And I'm sitting there going, it's a hamburger, lady. Get real. You eat a whole bunch of them, you won't look like that. The world is hostile to believers. I want you to understand this. I'm not saying they want you delegitimized. They don't want you to have any effect whatsoever in anything. John's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify it and its deeds are evil. You align with Christ. What do you say of the world? The deeds are evil. Which one would those be? Which deeds of the world would be classified as evil? Without faith, you cannot please God. So anything short of that is what? They call it evil. They call it evil. Uh, I have had uh, I've had kind of a weird week. But one of the things that I have seen consistently all week long, it was really kind of bizarre. I don't want to go into the details, is the arrogance of humanity. Never seen anything like it. And you know what? It used to be we kind of hid our boasting. Now we just boast. Because that makes me more important. In Ephesians chapter 2, there's a fascinating text because I don't think that enough Christians pay attention to it. Ephesians 2, verse 2. The world hated Jesus, okay? What did he do wrong against the world that they should murder him? He's the only perfect, innocent person. And yet they killed him. In Ephesians 2, verse 2, in which you formerly walked. 
What? You were in your, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the what? The course of this world. You know why the world hates you? Because you're not with them anymore. And you offend them. You offend them. Jesus warns us, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. The world hates you. Do you understand the terminology he's using there? Okay. He's not saying they're annoyed with you. He's not saying, you know, they are displeased with you. The world hates you. Okay. When he makes up the term world, do you understand what he's talking about? That'd be everybody. That'd be everybody. He says this in John 15, verse 19. He says this in John 17, verse 14. Both of those texts are in the upper worm discourse before he leaves the temple mount to go over to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, Father, remove this cup from me, this cup of your wrath that I must drink. But I also know that I must pay the penalty of these people's sins. And he says, guys, they, they estimate there was about 500 people in the upper room. I've been in the upper room. 500 have fit in there fine. 500 people. And he's saying, they're going to kill me. But you think that's bad? They hate you. Have you ever thought about that? No. Grace, peace, love. Kumbaya. Guess what? It don't work. It don't work. If you are at peace with the world, then the love of the Lord is not in you. There's a a good letter, an excellent letter, if you're feeling brave. You know, it might be worth reading this Passion Week. First John chapter 3. Read the whole letter. First John chapter 3, verse 13. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Well, but they don't arrest us. They don't beat us. You know why? You don't say nothing. I do the occasionally, I haven't done it in a while, and there may be a reason. I do the invocation for the town of Castle Rock to have council meetings on Tuesday, and they have a time of prayer before it starts. First time I did it, I concluded it, and I walked out, and the, uh, one of the councilmen came up to me, and he says, uh, can I ask you a favor? I said, what's that? He says, can you not pray in Jesus' name? And I said, what? He says, well, we have some Jewish people who show up here, and that's offensive to them. I said, well, who do you want me to pray to? Well, can't you think of something else? So I was asked to come again. (laughs) I just don't learn. Or perhaps I'm a slow learner. I I was offended some people then. Well, I don't believe. 
then wait outside till after the prayer is over. And that's what I told him. And one of the cops is standing there going, shaking his head. Here we go. They were having a ruling on uh, open carry here in Castle Rock. So everybody could carry their ARs down, strapped to their backs, so we'll go shopping or whatever they wanted to do. I thought it was kind of comical myself. It, it actually made me want to go out and see if I could buy a replica of an RPG. But I was... I thought maybe better of it. So, well, it says open carry. I'm carrying mine. So anyway. I had to park. Okay. Down by subway. To get into the council building. And I thought, oh, great. They know I'm coming. <laughs> and then, then when I got in there, I found out they were debating this thing on carrying their weapons and I was like huh I had people cuss me after I prayed oh well (laughs) what can I say one guy was very belligerent as I was walking out I looked him in the eye He was saying some very profane things to me. I looked him in the eye and I said, when you see my boss, use the same language. I walked away. Okay? If you keep your mouth shut, you'll be fine. You stand up, the world will hate you. Let me show you something that people don't think about. You you think about this for a second. I want you all to hear this. I want you to listen well. No one is immune to what I'm about to tell you. 1 John chapter 2 verses 15 and 16. The word of God says, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Christians are not to love the world. James chapter 4 verse 4 says the same thing. Let me ask you this. How do you do with Romans chapter 12 verse 2? Do not be conformed to the world. The word conformed there means pressed into its mold. Do you look like the world? That's what Romans is saying. The things of this world are corrupt. First John chapter five, verse four. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. 
Okay? So we have an adversary, a world that hates us, that wants us to be pressed into its mold. Too many in the church today are in the mold. Too many in the church today, I can't tell them from the lost. Listen to the conversation. Listen to the actions. Look at the priorities of their lives. I listen to guys who are getting offers to be pastors and they want to know what their benefit package is. I hate to break news to you. That's the world. Now, some of these guys got some benefit packages. I'm like, I should maybe rethink this. You know, I, I, I want three months sabbatical a year. After your first year or your 50th year, how are you going to do that? No, no, no. Every year. Three months? What is it you do for a living? Oh, you think you are a congressman? People say, well, when do you take vacations? When I'm flying from point A to point B. Gives me a chance to sit and read. The second thing that we fight against is the flesh. What I mean by the flesh is our unredeemed container. I shared with you out of 1 John, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. What is that at all attacking? Your flesh. Okay? See, it's one of the things that I have watched over the course of time is the world has a fascination of tantalizing our flesh. It will always make us feel better. It'll make us smile. You know, I just want to be happy. Okay? Well, what will make you happy? I can tell you what will make me happy. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I'll do a happy dance. Okay? It might be an embarrassing happy dance, but I'll still do it. Listen... Unlike the external attacks of the world, the assaults of the world, this attack is from the inside. It's from the inside. It's what we call our pleasure. Jesus speaking of this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Keep watching and praying. That you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing. But the flesh. Is weak. Anybody agree with that? You know I get people say well that's such a silly book. It doesn't make any sense. There's no truth in it. Really? Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. You're telling me there ain't no truth in that? Then you're either asleep or dead. Romans chapter 6 verse 19. 619, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Peter warns of this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts 
which wage war against the soul. Paul deals with it again in his own personal life, his own struggles. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Romans chapter 7, verse 18, I know nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing the good is not. Now, that's the Apostle Paul. Okay? Our flesh is inherently evil. Did you know that? Here, let me remind you. Everybody, does anybody here ever read the text on the fruit of the Spirit? Hmm? We like that, huh? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And all that. Did you ever read in front of it? That begins in chapter 5, verse 20 of Galatians. Have you ever read chapter 5, 19 through 21? Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, things like this, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what your flesh likes. That's why lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life is so successful. It plays right into your flesh. It's like advertising. Advertising doesn't tell you what you want. It tells you what you need. You need this. Why? Because it's the new one. The new one what? Fill in the blank. You need this. Why? It appeals to your visual understanding. It appeals to your boastful pride of life. It appeals to your flesh. And you know what? (laughs) It can be anything. It can be anything. But, for those of you who are overwhelmed now with sadness about your flesh... Romans 8, 9. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Feel better yet? Try this one. 12 and 13, same chapter. So then, brother, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Same thing in 1 Corinthians 3.1. Well, how does that work, Pastor? I thought you'd never ask. Chapter 13 of Romans. Romans 13, 12 and 13 says this. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to lust, to its lust. 
We are even told to cleanse ourselves from all defilement in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. All right? So I have the world who is after me. I have this stinking container, this earthen vessel that I'm stuck in. Okay? And so it always bothers me why people don't want to go to heaven. I'm ready to get rid of this carcass. Sorry. If God wants me to stay here for your sakes, fine. But he don't want my vote. I want out of this. I don't want the pain. I don't want the heartache. I don't want the sorrow. I don't want the temptation. And you know what? You and I are in the same world that's doing the same thing it did against the Apostle Paul that it has done against the church since its conception at Pentecost. Same thing. You've got the same flesh as in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. And yet, manipulating of the world and manipulating of the flesh to assault believers is the main operation of Lucifer. Of Lucifer. Ezekiel 28, verse 14, speaking of Lucifer, he was anointed cherim who covers the throne. He was the most exalted of all created beings. That text refers to his position as the chief angel guarding God's throne. Lucifer, Satan, the devil. Now, it's the epitome or the definition of evil. He doesn't look like Yosemite Sam with a pitchfork and horns. Okay? Something else you need to understand. He does not rule hell. Okay? Actually, the truth of the matter is, he don't rule nothing. And the truth of the matter is, if you want to be theologically correct... He's completely defeated. So how is it he manages? Simple. How do you do with the world, people? If I renew my mind two holidays a year, Christmas and Easter, then what will you be conformed to? Let me tell you something. I love you guys, but I'm going to tell you something. Who you spend the most time with, I will see. Whether it's a saved person or it's a lost person. The lost person, they're nice, cordial. Everyone wants to get cranky. It'll be. Pick a fight here or there. But did you ever think about this? They only serve a different master. You want to be fun with it? Tell them that when you see them. I believe you're serving another master. I can tell you about your other master. My preacher gave me the verses. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 44. 
Nope, sorry. By his nature, guess what he is? His nature. Now, I want you to understand something about that. When it speaks of Satan's nature, that is the essence of who he is. Okay? You and I all have a nature. Okay? It's fallen. You know, I listen to people debate election. And inevitably, they will come up with this say, well, then God chooses some to go to hell. That's how they come up with it. And I smile at them. Uh, a lot of times I'd like to pat them on the top of the head, but I think that might be pushing it. Okay? No, I said, no, not really. And he says, what? I says, they're all going to hell. He happens to save some. Why? Because you have an adversary whose foundational nature is what? He's a liar. He is a liar. He lies. Okay, let me ask you a question. When you look at the world system, what do you see? This is not a want. This is a need. It's a lie. It's a lie. When you look at your flesh, what do you see? No, 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 no. I don't want you looking at my flesh. I want you to look at your flesh. The heart is wicked, Jeremiah says. Who can discern it? Jeremiah says. We deceive ourselves. Why? By our natures. Does anybody know which parent is running around teaching their children to lie? Where do they get that from? But who's teaching our children to lie? I never taught my children to lie. And you know what? Every one of them has. More than once. Where did that come from? It's their nature. It's their nature. That's why the father of lies is so successful. It's not even a challenge. So if my flesh by nature is lying, the world system is lying, then how easy is it for Lucifer to just run amok? In fact, you want to be theologically correct? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. We looked at this in depth a few years ago. <laughs> he is disguised as an angel of light. He is disguised as an angel of light. He doesn't walk around with a pitchfork and horns and one of them tail things. He will speak of Jesus. He will speak of things that will make you happy. He will speak of things that will entice your flesh. He will speak of things that will encourage you. That will make you just warm and fuzzy all over. But know this. It's a lie. It's a lie. He is here to blind the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light 
of our gospel. That's why go look at people who are professing Christ today. And they have no idea who it is. I have a question that I ask people because people find out it's really kind of funny. Uh, it's, it's one of my great joys in life. People will ask me, what do I do for a living? And I kind of hem haul around. And I usually say something like, well, I read. And you read for a living? Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of a weird job, but I read for a living. And uh, they keep pushing it. And I finally say, I'm a pastor. And it's funny because they all do the same. They shift to spiritual. And they, they, it's actually a movement of the eyes and head. They, they all do it. And you're like, oh, good. This is going to be a dandy. Okay. And they always tell me how wonderful Jesus is and this, that, and the other. And I said, well, can I ask you a question? They say, what? And this is why I have so many friends. Tell me five things about Jesus. What? Yeah. Tell me five things about Jesus. And if they say something that's wrong, I say, that's not right. I need five things about Jesus. I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm trying to say, do you understand the seriousness of you opening your mouth? I want five things about Jesus. If they're not biblical, I'll tell you. Uh, uh, uh. No. And it gets me into trouble. And I usually end up having to buy my own lunch. But the people's minds have been blinded by the father of lies, by their own flesh, and by the world. The world and the flesh is under easy influence of the father of lies. In Revelation chapter 12 verse 10, he is called the accuser of the brethren. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 5, he is called the tempter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 18, he is the hinderer. All of these, the accuser, the tempter, and the hinderer, are all tied to the world and your flesh. Easy targets. He is a formidable opponent. He threatens and does devour believers. Those believers who are ignorant to his ways. I do not understand why we don't put up a better fight. That is silly to me. I follow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And a person of lies in his nature can do what? Ruin us. I never see anything like it. He devours us. He's got a full belly. Because we don't read. We don't listen. We think the world likes us. We're all going to sing Kumbaya together and just smile as we climb the stairway to heaven. No! No! It's a lie! 
It's not even an exaggeration. It is a lie from the pit of hell. And we smile at it. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. So that no advantage should be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. And you know what I say, Paul? We haven't got the message. We are ignorant. We want to be conformed into this world. We want to look just like the world. We think if we act like the world, they'll like us better. That's weird because I just showed you the world hates us. How in the world are they going to like us more? We're going into the Passion Week. Jesus was busy his last week of life. And they murdered him. Why would they like you? Oh, wait. You follow the father of lies. You embrace the world. You conform to their mold. Guess what? They'll love you. They'll eat you up. They'll parade you around. And they'll shout the victory song. Look what we did to the king's disciples. That's the goal. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I explained that. You know what the problem is? We spend too much time putting the armor on and taking the armor off. Putting the armor on, taking the armor off. No, put it on, so leave it on. Keep it on. You're at war. I don't care where you're at. If we, you and I, are to successfully resist, we had better be dressed for war. James chapter 4, verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. You know what? If you resist him, what happens? He flees. Let me ask you a question. How do I resist him? Anybody know? I'll go to church. I'll go to church. If I go to church, he'll resist me. Well, until you get in the parking lot. You know what? I'll ask you a simple question. This is as simple as I can get it. In whose presence do you spend most of your time? Do you ever think about that? You look at the effectiveness of the United States military, you'll realize that it ain't a bunch of Rambos. It is a team. I remember one time when my father was in the Marine Corps, I went down to watch a night operations of what they called a Marine Corps rifle company. And it was done at night, which is a whole different meaning of, wow. Because when you see one little red light go out, you know that there's five. Because it's every fifth round is a tracer. But you watched it, and it was coordinated from the left to the right so that there was not a square inch that was not being taken care of. Okay? That's war. 
I kept thinking, man, he was down there because they had this old uh, Amtrak sitting down. And I was like, man, you sitting down there behind that. The only thing you can do is dig deeper. <laughs> if you're at war, why would you think you want to stand out there and do it by yourself? You think you're that good? You know, there's a bunch of you who think you are. I can do that. I can handle it. I prayed this morning. I read my Bible this morning. I'm ready. Really? You're ready sitting duck is what you are. I was with over 4,500 pastors who believed that the Bible was the inerrant word of God. It was authoritative. And you know what? I've never been so safe in my life. I knew that some of the guys were sitting there going, well, I just don't like to hear that. Well, then tear that part out of your Bible. I like being around guys who say, bring it on. I have the sort of truth. But you're a fool if you think you're going to go do that by yourself. You're nuts. And yet, we have the full armor. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. We do not give the devil an opportunity. Okay, listen. Like all believers, the Corinthian church was under siege from these three adversaries. Brothers and sisters, I hate to break the news to you. You and I are under siege. You and I are under siege. And there's a bunch of you who think you just go stand out there and go, me, 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 me. Okay? And you know what? You're being devoured. I've already seen it. You have been conformed into the image of the world. You've been pressed into their mold. You look just like them. And when you look just like the world, you know what you're telling me? I've been defeated. No, I'm not saying that you lost your salvation. You may want to examine yourself, see if you ever had it. But if you've got it, then you've been taken prisoner. And you know what? The adversary and the world is parading you around saying, look, how great is their God? We took that one prisoner. Like the believers in Corinth, we are the world system in Corinth. The world system in Corinth was, if you do a historical study of Corinth, it'll freak you out. It was perhaps, arguably, one of the worst cities in the ancient world. To Corinthianize became synonymous with immorality. Socrates liked it, or Plato, one of the two, liked Corinth. He said, because they're bare-breasted women climbing poles and spearing pigs. It's a great vacation place. Had many t false temples. What does Satan do? He's into false religions. Unfortunately, in Corinth, much of the evil that was that city had a foothold in the flesh. It promoted it. You could go have sex with a temple priestess and it was noted as something being spiritual. You could even convince your wife that you're just going down to the temple and worship. And the wives would agree to it. 
Even those who believed in the Corinthian assembly were falling victim to that sin, even though the sin that they practiced before Christ. Why I say that is because the devil's specialty is false religion. Let me tell you this is true. And once you experience it, you'll say, oh, that devil is right. Now, you can sit and tell me, well, it's Satanism, it's this, it's that, the other. Let me explain to you something. False apostles had come into a church founded by the Apostle Paul for 18 months, day in and day out from house to house, giving sound doctrine. And when the false came in, they fell for it. So don't think you can stand. I ain't the Apostle Paul. Too many in the body of Christ today think they're Rambo. And you're not. You're a sitting duck. The greatest men of God that I've met are surrounded by great men of God. And he who thinks he can stand, beware lest he falls. This church was falling victim to false religion. Satan's deception was being felt through the false apostles. They were deceiving many of the Corinthians. You know what? They're doing it today. In record numbers, perhaps. Because we can get our message out all kinds of way. The Corinthians faced three enemies. The world, their flesh, and Satan. And as Paul concludes this letter, he almost, in these verses, gives a summary of his concerns. I find it fascinating. I read a lot of stuff that, quote-unquote, pastors put out. Tweets and blogs and Twitters and whatever they are. And I hear pastors have a tremendous concern for their people. They're concerned with their prosperity of their people. They're concerned about the success of their people. They're concerned about the health of their people. The comfort of their people. The self-esteem of their people. The prestige of their people. And yet the three greatest goals they have no concern for. That's what your outline is. The completion of your people, the affection of your people, and the benediction of your people should be the three greatest goals of any pastor. These are in line with what we have been studying when we looked at chapter 12, verses 20 through 21 in repentance. We looked at Discipline of the church in chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Submission in chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. Self-examination, verses 5 and 6. Obedience to the authority of Scripture in chapter 13, verses 7 and 9a. And integrity in 9b. These are your defenses against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we'll begin the details shortly. Father, help us to hear. 
Father, this is a strange, strange time. And uh, my heart breaks for your church. Father, if my heart breaks, I do not understand what you must feel. Help us, Lord. Help us resist. Help us, Lord, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds daily. May we understand that each person here is to help us, to strengthen us for the spiritual firefight that is all around us. Father, we are against a liar, but we are liars. And we are so susceptible. Help me, my King, to bow before You. Father, help me to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus that I may be overwhelmed by these people, that I can present them complete, I can present them affectionate, and I can present them with the hallelujah benediction. Help us, Lord, to run the races before us, not entangled by the things of this world. To You, my Lord, my Savior, in Christ and Christ alone. Amen.